Good morning. How are you? I'm a little nervous. How about you? My helper is not helping. I'm not sure what I'm doing to make it not help me. Oh, please help me more. All right. Well, 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 well. I don't know. Thanks, Lord, right off the bat. Pastor Wally's on vacation for the next couple weeks, and so I get week one. And you know why? Because it's Pentecost Sunday. And I was like, good, I know what I'm talking about then, right? <laughs> so some of you probably don't even know what Pentecost Sunday is. What are you talking about? It's not another Hallmark holiday. You didn't find cards for it when you were picking out your Mother's Day cards last week. Don't forget Father's Day is next Sunday or two, three Sundays. Don't want to forget. See, I'm already planning ahead so much I don't want to forget. Um, but there's probably some of you don't know, there's probably some of you who have experienced Pentecost as far as baptism in the Holy Spirit. You know what we're talking about when we use those terms. There's probably some of you in here that have can teach or have taught a class on it. Here comes my helper. If I turn it on, it would actually come on. The light wouldn't be red, it would be blue. And it would do things like that. Thank you, Jeff. <laughs> it will be way more fun for everybody if this works. <laughs> so you might think, maybe if it, if it keeps working, mm, here we go. What are you talking about? You might think, I know, I, I know I'm familiar with the term baptism in the Holy Spirit. It is kind of weird, right? Just to think about baptism is or being baptized isn't a word we normally use in everyday language. It's a Christianese kind of word. But you might be here and you could teach the class on this. I mean, you know Pentecost means 50, that we celebrate it seven Sundays after Easter, um, close to 49, you know, close to a Sunday as we can get. So uh, it's about the day, the first time that the Holy Spirit came down and empowered the disciples. Jesus told them to wait. It's the first time that that happened, and we see um, people speaking in tongues, which we're going to get into. But um, they spoke in languages that were recognized by people not from that country. So to kind of get us all on the same page, we're going to uh, kind of read it together. But I want to give you a little bit of background. Jesus has um, been crucified. He's resurrected. He has met with the disciples. He told them this. He was eating with them, and he gave them this command. Don't leave Jerusalem. But wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So that's where we get some of that terminology and why we say that kind of thing. So let's find out what happened on that day. There's a group of them that have waited in Jerusalem. There's about 120 of them. They're all in the same room. And let's look and see what happens. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? There's a whole list here of languages that they heard. 
And if you thought it was funny in my opening, you should hear me try and read those. So I'm not going to. What they heard was them declaring the wonders of God in their own tongue. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some of them, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. It's strange, right? We c there's a big festival that goes on. Pentecost is the end of that festival. There's a whole bunch of people from all over the country, all different kinds of places, and they're hearing this group of people speak in all of these different languages, and they recognize them and hear that they're talking about God. It's so and I got to tell you, these guys must have been some happy faces because <laughs> some of the people there are thinking, this is so strange. These guys must be drunk. What other explanation is there for this, right? So if you've got questions, if you're kind of one of those people like, I don't even know what this is, don't worry. Even Peter had to explain to them what it is, which is what he does next. Really, it is. <laughs> he stood up and with the eleven, those are talking about the other disciples, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams, and your young men will see visions. How cool. I love it when the Bible is kind of it's black and white. Here's what happened. Here's the explanation, right? There's some parables that Jesus tells, and then he explains what they mean. Here's another instance where something happens, and Peter explains exactly what it is. We don't have to worry about what is it? Is it real? Is it supposed to happen? He quotes Joel, who is a prophet from the Old Testament, and here's what we can draw from that for sure. Right from the get-go, we know that God had a plan for Pentecost Sunday long before Hallmark had any kind of weird holidays, right? <laughs> so let's start from there, that we can know that Pentecost and what happened at Pentecost was planned and prepared for by the Lord. So the evidence of that power that he was talking about for them to have was speaking in tongues. Those are the words that the Bible uses. They're strange. We don't talk about tongues as any other thing than this thing in our mouth, right? Tongues means an unknown language, something that we don't understand, um, kind of thing. If um, somebody came in and started talking Bazitzlan or something like that, we wouldn't know. That would be an unknown tongue to us, right? So, and I feel like a lot of times that's where the biggest hang-up kind of comes. There's, there's other instances in the Bible where it talks about tongues or unknown languages. And um, let's look at some of these. There's, um, oh, you know what? Rob and I talked about this on the way here even, that sometimes I get ahead of myself a little bit. When I talk about that this is God's plan, that he had a plan for Pentecost Sunday ahead of time, all the way back to Joel, he had other plans, and we follow those. He has a plan for salvation. The church follows that plan, right? We still talk about that. He has a plan for water baptism. We still do that. He had a plan for spirit baptism. Peter just explained that, and we have a plan for that also. I've been around Pentecost my whole life, um, so I need to sometimes remind myself that not everybody understands or is familiar with it. So I, I wanted to make sure that, that we get that idea that this is God's plan. It's in the Bible, and if he says it, he wanted it for the disciples. He said, before you go and do this big job I've given you, I want you to wait 
for this power. And if they needed to wait for power for their job, I'm pretty sure I'm okay with getting that same kind of thing for me, that God wants me to have that. But it still does leave some questions, like this whole tongues thing. There are some different ways tongues is used in the Bible. And um, the one that we just read about is called the baptism in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. There is also the gift of tongues and interpretation, usually used corporately when you're with a group of people. It's for unbelievers. There's also praying in tongues in your personal prayer life. And I'm going to go back and forth between using tongues in unknown language or something that you don't understand. It's all the same kind of thing. They're just used in different ways. It's all the Holy Spirit in us. Tongues, no matter when it's expressed, though, in all of these different ways, can seem a little crazy. So we just saw the first one, the initial evidence of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, and they thought they were drunk, right? Watch this. 1 Corinthians 14.23 talks about if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and inquirers or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you're out of your mind? I mean, if we're all sitting around talking in languages that none of us understand, that would seem a little bit crazy, right? And we get kind of hung up on things that we don't understand sometimes, right? It's weird, it's different, but think about it. Um, if we just went with only things we understand are true, well, we probably wouldn't drive cars, because I understand when I was little, I used to get in the car, my dad would get behind the wheel, and he would turn it, and there we would go. When I got older, I found out that there's some other things about the car you need to know, like it needs oil. <laughs> if it doesn't get oil, <laughs> it doesn't work very well. I don't understand why, and I don't understand how that works, but it's nonetheless true, correct? If you don't put gas in that car, whether you know or understand why that car needs gas, it still needs gas. It's still a true thing, right? So we may not always understand why tongues is used, why this sign, why this symbol is used, but we can know that it is from God. When people are filled with the Holy Spirit, it can be hard for people who aren't filled with the Holy Spirit to understand. Don't feel bad if you've got questions. They did. Look, we just read another question. It could seem like you're out of your mind. But I want to look at another verse that talks about um, correction. If you read on in, in chapter 14, right after he talks about that you're out of your mind, that you're crazy if you do this, he gives direction and correction on how it should be done. He doesn't say, stop doing it. Right? All over in the Bible, the principle is the same. If something is out of order or something is getting weird, it isn't drop it, it's correction. That's the principle that we can follow sometimes here because I've been around Pentecost, like I said, my whole life. I've seen some pretty crazy stuff. I've seen when it's been used not correctly. But we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. God told us it was for us, and we can use the guidance in, this in the Bible to know how to use it or how to experience how it should be done. So if you're, in fallen, if you're one of the people that fall into the category of, I've got questions, again, remember, God designed this to happen. God chose for tongues to be the sign that the power from the Holy Spirit is in our lives. We do sometimes 
get it wrong, and it may seem crazy, but it's not any less true, right? Because I grew up around tongues, I also had a lot of questions. Um, and one of those questions is, why tongues? Lord, it's so hard to explain when I bring someone with me to church as a teenager. And of course, that's the Sunday that there's a message in tongues and interpretation. And if you haven't been filled and you don't understand, you think these people do not know what they're doing. What is going on here? And when do we have to sign up for the cult, right? I mean, have any of you guys experienced people kind of feeling like, oh, you're one of those, you know, you're one of those tongue-talking people, right? It can be kind of weird. I don't think we need to be afraid of those questions. Now, we may not really understand before heaven why God chose this, but because it, it, it is a pretty weird way of showing how somebody's changing on the inside. But I'm a pretty rational person, and I like, especially when I'm talking about spiritual experiences, I want for them to be doctrinally safe. I want them to be biblically sound. I don't want to just whatever's going on, okay? And I'm sure that there are people like that here today, too. We, we like that. And I, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. We shouldn't be afraid to talk about it. And I've got some rationale on why God may have chosen to use tongues. And I want to show them to you. So why? Why tongues? We know that tongues is language. We know that language is communication, right? That's what we use language for. And that there's typically two kinds of communication, verbal and nonverbal. Since I'm using verbal communication right now, that's what we're going to start with. So there's uh, spoken communication that is really powerful. Uh, it is so much more uh, expressive than written, right? Ask anybody who's had a text misunderstood, right? <laughs> you can't tell if they're yelling at you or not. You can't tell. Maybe they're kind of asking you a question, but they didn't put the question mark at the end of the sentence, so you don't know, right? It's texting. My kids make fun of me for spelling out the whole word, <laughs> you know, <laughs> kind of thing. But anyone, uh, if, you, if you can't read someone's inflection or their volume, uh, kids, with your parents, come and do the dishes. Could be that way. Could be come and do the dishes, right? There's a difference. There's more that can be said. It's very powerful. You can also tell a lot about how a person thinks and how they feel, how they behave, what their inside is like by how they speak outwardly. Our verbal communication is tied to our inward life and to our heart. Let's look at Luke 6, 34, or 43, it says. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. Out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. We don't get bad things being said by people with a good heart. When I think about it that way, that out of who I am is how I speak, then it kind of starts to make more sense to me, at least, why it's a verbal communication that God uses in this. Paul also, y you know, the <laughs> so it could be verbal and that could be great, but why isn't it English? Why not just use a language we understand, right? We could get rid of a whole lot of other questions. Paul answers that question. He says, he who speaks in an unknown tongue edifies himself. Edify here means to build up ourselves. To um, And then when I think about 
the fact that the Holy Spirit is inside of me, that he's with me all the time, 24-7, that certainly builds me up. Couldn't we be more courageous the more we would remember who's with us? Wouldn't we have more compassion when we know who's with us all the time? Think about it. I know the Holy Spirit is with me. He's encouraging me when I'm nervous. He's comforting me when I'm confused or hurt. He's reminding me of God's principles when I'm struggling with a decision. Have you ever had that? You you wonder what to do, and you remember. Something comes to your mind, something that you've been taught before, something that you've read before. The Holy Spirit can bring back things to our remembrance. I don't know how he does it, but if we look at these verses, we know it's true that what we say is an outward expression of an inward reality. And according to this verse, it doesn't matter whether we can understand what we're saying or not. All our communication with God must be, by its very nature, verbal, right? And from our heart. It's hard to have nonverbal communication with somebody who's not physically here, right? I can't reach out and hug him. I can't sit at his feet and cry. I can't roll my eyes or see if he's rolling his eyes, although sometimes I imagine it. It's not pretty. So verbal communication, although it is very strong and it's very, um, it's a quick way to see the someone's heart, it's not the only way that God's designed us to communicate. That nonverbal communication is really important. Even if he's not physically here, he's built us to react and relate on an interpersonal level with both verbal and nonverbal. So inver- nonverbal can be pretty powerful in the right time, in the right way it's used at the right time. Uh, growing up, if I, uh, <laughs> if I would roll my eyes at my mom, non-verbally communicate with her, I probably should have chosen a verbal form of communication that went something like, yes, mom, <laughs> right away, mom, right? Okay, we need to know when to use which one. And the Bible talks a lot about when to use which one, some of that direction and things that we talked about earlier. But I'm not going to necessarily get into the when. Today we're going to talk about what is it and what's it for. All right. So, so nonverbal has its place. Sometimes we should not speak, right, because we're just going to put our foot in our mouth. <laughs> we, should, we should try to nonverbally communicate with each other. And I think God lets us do that same way. How about it? It would seem to me that God, in giving us other tongues, or a language that we don't understand, has given us the ability to relate to him nonverbally also. Even though we're using our tongues and don't understand what we're saying, it's still not just gibberish or or baby talk. There's more to it than that. And I want you to kind of think with me a little bit about what kinds of ways we describe that. We think about... reaching out after God? Have you heard people think about, I just feel like he's closer. I'm reaching out for him. He's closer to me. There's a pouring out of emotion from within. Think about Hannah. She is crying out to the Lord. You you can't understand what she's saying in the Old Testament. The prophet thinks that there's something else going on. He, or the priest, he doesn't even realize what's going on. But she's crying out out of the emotion, out of her spirit inside of her. Sometimes it feels like We're so close to God that we can 
give him a hug. We can embrace him. We feel embraced by him. We feel his presence there. That's nonverbal communication. It's a release of how we feel deep inside. It's allowing God into the inner places of our life and opening that up to him. Not only are we expressing, but we're letting him in to those places also. And loving God in a way that is mysterious, it's powerful, and it's right, and it's being prompted by the Spirit of God within us. Again, this is the part that gets kind of hard to explain, but you know, what people who have been filled with the Holy Spirit, with that evidence of speaking in something that they don't even understand, ask them. If you have questions about what that's like, ask them, because they'll tell you. It is, it's like you're talking to God, telling him things you don't even know how to express, and he understands. When when you speak to God in tongues, when I speak to God in, in tongues and in a language, when I'm praying with him, sometimes I just don't know what to say. I don't know even really what I need. I just, I just need to know you're here. I need to know that you're there. There's a powerful thing that happens when we let go and let God do what he wants to do in our life. So I I think that's why it was important to start with the, the scripture and the story showing us that this is from God. This is something that he wants for us. It's not something to be scared of, and it shouldn't be something we understand. It's from God. If we understood how everything worked that God was doing, who would be God? Right? So I just, uh, I feel like I, I can't encourage you enough that if you sometimes feel like you don't know what to pray, you don't know what God wants you to do, you just feel like there's something missing, and you haven't been baptized in the Holy Spirit, it could be just what you need. I know um, Paul gives a reason for this nonverbal experience. He says in 1 Corinthians 14, that same chapter we were reading from earlier, I will pray to God with my understanding, but I will also pray with my spirit. And that kind of sums up all of those descriptions before. It's our spirit talking to and hearing from God and his Holy Spirit in us. We know from psychological studies that we have two sides to our brain. We have a, a rational, analytical thinking side, and we have a creative side, an expressive side. This verse to me talks about how I will reach out to God with how I know in my own language. I will praise him and I will talk to him, but I will also reach past that into the depths of my soul, into that subconscious part of me and bring out of that place more praise and more glory. Can I praise God with the language that I know, with English? I certainly can. We do. What a great time of praising and worshiping in song this morning. There are times when that's just not enough, right? It just doesn't really explain how I feel. And that, for me, is when it's so wonderful to be able to pray in whatever language the Spirit wants in me, to, to just let God work, let him in, let him do whatever he wants to do. 
and be expressive with that in with an unknown language. I don't know that we could come up with a better sign than that. I mean, now we have this sign that uses both ways, verbally and non-verbally, to communicate with God. It starts to make more sense to me. And I, like I said, I, I like things, not everything makes sense, but at least there's a rationale behind it, right? It It's rational thinking that he would use verbal and nonverbal, the things that he's given us to use to communicate with him. And when I read what the Bible says about our tongue and how dangerous it can be, the potential for good or evil that it has, I think that might be why he chose a sign that uses our tongue. Look at what James says. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal, or take ships as an example, Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they're steered by a very small rudder. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. It's not lost on me that the very thing that can determine the direction of our lives, our tongue, is what God chooses to use. Now, we've spent a lot of time talking about the sign of the Holy Spirit empowering us. And it's Pentecost Sunday. It's time for us to remember just how important that is. It was important that the disciples and us receive the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus told them their purpose, to reach the nations with the message. That job is so important, you think that they better get right at it. But he says to wait, which makes me think that this is very important also. It's kind of like that American Express commercial, don't leave home without it. We need it. The initial evidence that we have that power of the Holy Spirit in our life is speaking in that unknown language. It's an essential purpose of the Spirit's empowerment to us to be Jesus' witnesses. The Holy Spirit baptism is for all believers, that prophecy in Joel goes on and on. That prophecy is, it's cool because it gets fulfilled once on the day of Pentecost, but it's also continuing to be filled, right? There was a group of people in Ephesus that were filled with the Holy Spirit. There was a guy in his house, Cornelius, that was filled with the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. And we continue that today. It's something that God wants for all of us. But receiving the gift is not a guarantee that the promised power will be used for its intended purposes. Did you know that 95% of all SUVs on the road sold in the United States never actually go off-road? These vehicles are equipped for that purpose. That will rarely, if ever, get used. It's the same way sometimes with this gift. We receive it but we don't use it for its intended purpose. God's designed our lives to have purpose, and there's a purpose behind the presence of the Spirit in our lives too, that power to accomplish his purposes, that power to be witness. And since it's Pentecost Sunday, and we spent some time focusing on that unknown language as the first sign, I kind of felt like I needed to make sure that we understand that it's not the only sign. There's another way to see the Holy Spirit working in our lives, and it's in Galatians. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, 
forbearance, use, use patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. This kind of gives this idea of continuing. The message translation puts it a little bit more challenging. It says, since this is the kind of life we have chosen, the life of the Spirit, let us make sure that we do not just hold it as an idea in our heads or a sentiment in our hearts, a good idea, but work out its implications in every detail of our lives. What would it look like if we really did that? What would it look like, the fruit of the Spirit, in our lives if it was in every day, every way of our lives? If the fruit of the Spirit is not apparent, is that person Spirit-filled? No. They might have once been, but in no way does an experience hold true today if it is not renewed and lived out in our lives. I wanted my life verse to be Philippians 1.6. I learned this when I was in Mishnets, and I thought, that is a great verse. Be confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it out to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Right now, I feel like every time I turn around, I start crying. So <laughs> but I held on to this verse, and, and the older I got, the more I felt like maybe this should be my life verse. Romans 7, 19. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do want to do, this I keep on doing, right? Okay? This would be more apt to describe my life a lot. But I got to tell you, there is a solution to this Romans 7 verse of wanting to do stuff, and it just, I, I'm not doing it. And the things I don't want to do anymore, I keep doing those. Romans 8 gives us the answer, do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit, according to having that fruit in your life in a way that's growing and changing, that's evident. One of the things that um, people think about often when we talk about the Holy Spirit is signs and wonders and, and spiritual gifts. But when Jesus tells them to wait for the power in Acts 1.8, that, that word power there is, is really comprehensive. It says that word power there translated means ability. That the empowerment of the Holy Spirit will give you the ability to do and be whatever God purposes for your life, right? Witnesses look different, all different kinds of ways. They, they can physically look different. They can be tall, skinny, short, whatever kind of thing. But even as people, they might be um, happy. They might be sad. What kind of witnesses are we for Jesus? What kinds of things do we have in our life that people see verbally and non-verbally? I want to think about for a minute, when he was talking to the early Christians, he was challenging them and giving them exactly what they needed to be able to do his purpose in their lives. So I want to kind of summarize where what we've been talking about. The Holy Spirit empowers us, empowers our witness in what we say. 
It gives us the internal motivation sometimes to speak. When Peter got up and spoke um, that we read about in Acts where he spoke and uh, after the initial sign of the unknown language is being spoken, that's the same guy who denied Christ three times, left to go fishing, right? And now he's standing up and declaring about Jesus and the message of Jesus so confidently, 3,000 people get saved, right? Thousands. Now, I don't think that all of us are going to stand up and preach and thousands. Thankfully, there's not thousands of you here today, so we won't be testing that theory right now. But we do have to have that confidence to speak about what the Lord is doing in our life, right? We also have to have that confidence to show what God is doing in our life non-verbally. When he helps us with what we say, even in the um, New Testament, they prayed for that. They asked, grant your bondservants, us, that we may speak your word with all confidence. So we can have that confidence knowing that the Holy Spirit has empowered us and he's with us all the time. We also have the fruit of the Spirit that changes who we are. The power Jesus promises is for every aspect of Christian living, enabling us to do and be whatever our Lord has purposed for our lives. So really, the question is, what would we do? Because when we become more and more like the character of Jesus, which is what the fruit of the Spirit describes, love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Jesus is all of those things. He is everything right there. And the Holy Spirit works that out in our life so that we will look more like Jesus to the people around us. So here's what we know. Speaking in another language that you don't know is the first evidence of the Holy Spirit's empowerment in your life, that baptism in the Holy Spirit that they talked about. We also know why he chose this way could be because our tongue gets us in and out of trouble the quickest. So what better thing to use to communicate with God verbally and nonverbally than that very thing? The purpose of the Spirit's empowerment is to do and be whatever our Lord purposes for our life. So that really just leaves one question. Will we? Will we let him? Will we let the Holy Spirit decide what the purpose of our life is and how best to use the gift he's given us? Will we let him change our character, lead our words, decide the direction of our lives? Who decides what we will and won't do? I'm going to have the praise team come up for a minute while you think about that. Because everything hinges on obedience. We can know a lot, but until we obey what God tells us, it's just knowledge. Until we have faith to believe that what he tells us is good, what he wants for us is good, we won't act on it, and we won't be witnesses of what a life with Jesus is like. We know from scripture that Jesus told us to receive the Holy Spirit baptism. Is that good enough for you? 
because he said so? I mean, really, when we think about it like that, whether I understand it or not doesn't make it any less real or any less true. The question is, will we obey? So have you received it? Now you can receive it today, right now in your seat, just by asking for it. You can come down and pray. We will pray with you. Or you can bring a friend to pray with you. Maybe you'd be more comfortable asking about God about that when you're home. I have friends who have been <laughs> filled with the Holy Spirit while they're driving their car, while they're in their bedroom. And it, there's no magic formula for how this works. There's no hoops to jump through for how this works. You just ask. We also know from scripture that the Holy Spirit helps us change our character to be more like Christ. How long has it been since there's been a change in your character, in who you are? It's easy to get comfortable with how far we've come, or we can look around and realize we aren't as bad as somebody else. We're good people, right? But the fruit of the Spirit, is that growing in our lives? Do we love more now than we did last year? Do we love more now than we did six months ago? Do we have more self-control or less? I, I'm glad that one's last. I am always, am I always submitting to the Holy Spirit's directing? Letting him enable me for whatever purpose he has? I don't think there's a person here that could say, yes, I do that all the time. So I want to challenge you. They're going to sing. And if you haven't received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, hopefully I've convinced you that it does kind of make sense that God wants it for you. It wants it for everybody. That you need it. That power that he wants you to have that. When they're singing, I'd, if you want to come down I would love to pray with you about that. It's it's uh, encouraging to have someone else pray for you when you're asking for something you don't really know what it might look like, right? But I also think that probably the majority of us here, because we are a Pentecostal church, may have already had that experience and may have the Holy Spirit empowering us every day. But we don't always use that gift. We don't always obey what he prompts us to do we don't always let more of the fruit of the spirit show we get impatient we get unkind we lack self-control and we need to repent for that so if that's you and you feel the holy spirit prompting you to do that feel free to come up front in your seat whatever doesn't matter it matters more that you obey so I'm going to close in prayer. You're going to sing. And we're going to let the Holy Spirit do whatever he wants, right? Oh, Lord, I thank you. I thank you that you continue to work in my life. I see you work in people's lives at our church. Lord, you, you bring confidence to people who think they're not good enough. 
we bring remembrance to people who, who are in messy situations of just the right word to say at the right time. God, I, I think in our church over the last, oh, probably year, we've had more of a spirit of kindness, looking out for each other, encouraging each other. People come and they talk about how friendly church is. We want to be more and more and more and more like you. Lord, help us to obey. 